this month I'll do about £450,000 in revenue, which is a record month by quite a way. That, that would put me at about £1.8 million total revenue in the past year. So I want to hit a seven-figure month by the end of the year. That's, yeah. my, that's my goal. The, the model I've found success in is uh, I do a lot of free plus shipping. My biggest seller is in the phone case area, like phone cases with unique functions generally. So mass market accessories. We stand today. The Business Method. With a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, welcome to the Business Method Podcast, where we examine the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. Our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There is a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses and we wanted to get behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build a business like this. We've had some incredible guests like Bobby Edwards, the founder of Squatty Potty, who built a $35 million per year company with just 17 employees, and JP Sears, the YouTube superstar whose videos are going viral all over the internet. I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and we hope you enjoy the show. The Business Method. Welcome back to the show, you guys. We want to remind you that this is the second part of an interview that we had with Matt Kelly. The first part was published yesterday, so be sure to check that out if you haven't yet. And if not, we're going to hop right back into this amazing e-com entrepreneur and how he built a business that's producing $650,000 per month. Entrepreneur's systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Let's talk some business, Matt. So you're doing you're doing pretty well for yourself, and uh, l- let's talk the ecom world. I, I want to know for you, um, you know, I know you can't. Or most dropshippers and ecom people don't don't mention the yeah, products. Yeah, it's, it's like gray area. Yeah, I, I'll mention products. I, I won't mention my my URL, but I mention products. I'm happy to mention products because I mean, okay. I probably don't, but I, I don't really care. Like. I've found success in very much my model at the minute is I do a shitload of orders and make probably, I generally shoot for 15 to 20% net margin. This month I'll do about 450,000 pounds in revenue, which is a record month by quite a way. Nice. In the past few months that's grown exponentially, but that that would put me at about 1.8 million pounds total revenue in the past year. And that's pounds, not dollars. So I think that, what's that? 2.3, 2.4 yeah. million dollars ish. Yeah. Which is yeah, which is pretty insane to think because I, I always thought numbers like that were they were, they were reserved for thirty-five year old guys in suits back in the day, but <laughs> obviously not anymore. Yeah. So the the model I've found success in is uh, I do a lot of free plus shipping stuff. So I've sold. My biggest seller is in the phone case area. So I do a lot of phone cases, like phone cases with unique functions generally so yeah things like that um mass market accessories really not not just phone cases but phone cases have been my biggest seller i think i've done over fifty thousand phone cases wow. in the past year which is pretty amongst other things but that's my biggest individual seller um yeah i shoot for generally because when you drop shipping the reality is you're not really building a brand and i get on to how i want to do that in the future next but so the model for me is finding 
finding and developing an offer, which for me is always in the form of a video ad, and making sure that I'm profitable on the front end. Because often with dropshipping, you don't have hugely high percentages of return customers. There's slight issues with shipping times, et cetera, et cetera. People in the space understand that. And yeah, for me, if it's not profitable on the front end, I don't scale it, basically. I don't sell it. So I, I want to make sure that I can put an ad out there. And I'm not trying to bring people into this lengthy six-month funnel, which you might do with a brand. Like I'm literally I'm putting an offer out there that's irresistible for people that get shared, that gets viral. I, I always look for a lot of shares, a shitload of views on video ads with Facebook. So I target worldwide for a lot of things. I, mean, I don't know how deep you want to go on Facebook ads, but yes, yeah, so basically the model I use is I want people to buy something because it solves a pain point. It's a it's a really good price and it's it's eye catching on Facebook. Really, that that's very much my model. I, I would credit my entire financial success to Facebook video ads, basically. Yeah, what so, do you? Yeah, that, that's, it, what have you seen that's working for the video ads? I know that's like eye-catching and, and things they want to share. Anything in specific that you could share um, that is a sweet spot for video ads these days? Yeah, so for me, um, I always try and make stuff that's viral in nature in the sense that I, I'll always put like a call to action to share this for a discount, etc., tag a friend, all that, which is pretty basic stuff. But I basically make videos that are borderline ugly to watch. So I'll have like <laughs> the content in the middle. I'll have, I have a video guy that does all this for me, but it's all based on stuff that I, I know that works. We'll do a lot of emojis. It's a lot of like, I, I used to think that everything had to look really good to convert, but I've actually found that stuff that almost looks ugly and is eye catching works a lot better. So it's really important to show how something works. So I always make sure that I, I send product to my video and films, a lot of handheld stuff, which is good. Like stuff I'm hearing in the industry now, and this is following on from actually stuff people were talking about last week at Econ Mastery Live is that videos that look more humanized. So literally just like almost like shot on an iPhone, someone's hand, for example, showing how to use X phone case is actually better than something which is, super cinematic super high quality super professional because i think people see past the bullshit these days in mm -hmm. ads like i'm seeing ads that are working where it's literally someone unboxing a product even if it's like a crappy plastic wrapper because it, it like it humanizes the experience people think all oh, right this isn't just some marketing bs this is actually like it looks like it actually works it's good i can like i'm you're showing someone's hand maybe literally on like a kitchen table with some rubbish on the side. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like ads that humanize a product and, and make it seem like genuine, I think works, particularly for drop shipping. I, I would probably say differently if you're trying to build more of a, you know, like a niche brand with higher value items, maybe that's different. But for drop shipping, I think that's the way to go. Definitely something that people can relate to, something that people trust and something that catches attention and often the end result of all those factors together is a video that can look like look, looks like it was made by a 10 year old in a video class but if it does the job and there's the technical aspect of the facebook pixel and the targeting behind it which is super important as well but that together is what's working for me right now the video so, guy that, that you work with matt is is he uh, giving you the ideas for the video or are you guys working together or is it you having the vision for the video and then he's just creating it uh, generally it's me giving him I give him everything to work with and he just puts it together really like he, he knows what style I want so I'll send him 
a product and he'll film stuff or or, or, or I'll film stuff. Or, or we'll get licensed footage from Shutterstock video and stuff to put together. Often, like, that's another thing. Often videos I'm making, they're, like, they're not just one. They're not coherent. So we'll have, like, montage. We, we, we might even put, like, customer pictures in there as well. So it's just the overall package is is good in the sense that it shows the product clearly. It shows what customers are saying. It shows that customers have actually got the product, you know. So all those factors together. But, yeah, generally, I will... I'll say what I want and he'll help me put it together, but mainly just putting it together because that's his profession. And I, I can do it myself because I'm pretty good at video editing, but it's purely like I've learned that I need to outsource this shit because otherwise I'll spend way too long working <laughs> in the business and not on the business. I still probably do that too much, but you know, yeah. I know that, that feeling. That's, that's key. <laughs> um, where, where's, what's the process of finding a good video person? Did it take you a while or did you hit it right off the head or how that, how that turn out for you? Uh, I use Upwork. So one thing I'm doing with Upwork for a lot of, I've got a team of eight right now. I probably need a lot more, which is something I'm trying to work on in the next few weeks, purely because I feel overrun a lot of the time. Um, I use Upwork and I use Online Jobs PH. So both of which are freelance platforms. Um, Upwork is better for more skilled people, like like a video editor. But I use Online Jobs PH as well to find kind of more things like customer service social media moderation, more tasks that are less skilled and more just getting the job done, outsourcing a basic task. But in terms of finding good people, particularly in terms of like, like a video editor, um, I will put out a, a brief. I'll put out a job advert that includes a brief. So I'll get them to make a video for free at first because if they're not willing to do that, then they're probably not willing to play ball longer term. And I'll have them email it to a specific email address and ask them to put a certain topic, a certain line, for example, uh, I'm a video ads god or something, something just stupid like that. Basically, you want to make people jump through, jump through as many hoops as possible to make the process more efficient. Because I made the mistake of before, like literally, I'd put a job advert out, and you would get like maybe maybe 200 applications, and that takes a long time to go through speaking yeah. to people and saying, "Oh, can we get this." So yeah, just try and make it as automated as possible, and 90% uh, of people won't even jump through the first hoop of, for example, putting the correct title in the subjects that you've asked for. So if they're not going to pay attention to that, then they're probably not going to be very good at the job. So yeah, yeah. that's how I do it. Make them jump through hoops. It's a really good point. Now you mentioned that uh, you want to make sure that you have a profit on the front end. And you also mentioned that you do free, free plus shipping. Can you talk about like the system you have for that a little bit more? Yeah. So, most of my stuff right now is free plus shipping, which a lot of people say is a dying model. But I think if it's a dying model, that means less people are doing it. And it's probably why it's working for me, which is fine. That's happy. I'll, I'll keep doing that. It works for me. Um, so basically, I will free plus shipping works for me because, for example, say I can source a phone case for $2 or two pounds at, at bulk because I'll do bulk, pretty bulk kind of orders for my supplier, even though I'm drop shipping. So say I can source a case for two pounds, I might charge... Uh, 12 pounds for shipping for that particular item and I'm then looking for a specific cost per purchase on my Facebook ads on the front end so for example I'm looking to make minimum 20% net generally hopefully more so if my if I'm selling the phone case I'm effectively selling it for 12 pounds because that's for example because that's the shipping that I'm charging which seems ridiculous but people do people do buy this shit people buy into it um so yeah if I'm looking if I'm selling it for 12 pounds my product cost is to, I've obviously got a £10 margin to work with. 
but obviously to make profit, I need my cost per purchase to be closer to six to eight pounds. So let's say I'm shooting for a seven pound, seven pound cost per purchase. I'll test a load of ads. I'll shoot a load out at, at scale. I'm spending about ten thousand pound a day on ads right now, but obviously you get to that point over time. And I'll just test a load of stuff and scale it. And if I'm not, if I'm not getting purchases for, for example, seven pound per purchase, I'll either kill it, kill the ad, or I'll scale it down. Like, I think a lot of people overcomplicate it. And I have friends that have different systems, but that's what works for me. Like, I literally, if an ad set is profitable, I'll increase the budget and scale it. If it's not, I'll turn it off or I'll scale it down. Because I'm always shooting for a specific cost per purchase. That is the key metric for me, particularly with free plus shipping. Because on the Facebook pixel, with free plus shipping, and there's probably a way around this, but I haven't figured it out yet. You can't attribute the shipping cost directly to the purchase conversion value. So I'm always shooting. So, for example, my Facebook ads dashboard might say £10,000 spent, £0, like, zero pound returned on site which seems ridiculous but because obviously i'm charging the shipping it's fine it's just not getting attributed on my ad so i'm always looking at the cost per purchase as the single um the single metric that matters and you can get really complicated and overthink things like the cpm and the click-through rate and the after car volume but all of that doesn't matter the only thing that really matters fundamentally is the cost per purchase like how much is it costing me to make someone buy on the front end and as i say because i'm looking for profit on the front end if it's not profitable, I'm not thinking, oh, well, they're in my funnel now. I can keep scaling. It's just not the model I'm using. It's very much front-end focused. And, yeah, if it's not, if the cost per purchase isn't within in, in the realm that it needs to be to at least break even or hopefully make profit, then I just I just don't run it. And do you have, so, like, when you yeah. start a new Facebook ad campaign, do you have, like, an X amount that you're going to start it at? when you first launch it? Because I know you mentioned you're doing 10,000 pounds a day, but um, did you say a day yeah. or a week? A day? A day. And then a day. Yeah, that's, that's, this is a pretty high a high spend for me at the minute because I'm, yeah, I'm scaling to numbers I've never done before. But yeah, 10K a day is a lot to spend. I mean, I could probably, I could ironically, I, I could probably make the same profit potentially at lowest spend. But right now, I'm just really trying to build my email list, scale the volume because just because I want to push myself to I want to hit a seven figure month by the end of the year that's yeah. my that's my goal in pounds in pounds ideally and I think that's doable it's going to take a lot I probably need to be testing a lot more products and going a lot more broad rather than just vertical like spreading horizontally as well but yeah that's so to answer the question um I will literally this is exactly how I test ads so say I'm testing a new let's say I'm testing a phone case with a unique feature, for example. So X product phone case. Um, I will launch, obviously I've got a lot of pixel data because I've done over 100,000 orders in total. I've got a lot of pixel data, so which helps. But this is how I would say to anyone starting, I will launch a video ad. So that, that's the key thing. Have a good ad, have a decent product, make sure your landing page is optimized, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm actually launching worldwide at the minute. So I will go literally worldwide with and I'll test, for example, five interests. I might test um, interests as simple as phone case, people interested in phone case. I might test users of iPhone. I might test people within a certain age. And then I'll, I'll literally run that with cold interest targeting, see what's working. And I'll start with as little as £5 a day spend. I've, that's just how I've always done it since like a year ago, since I was doing smaller numbers. And literally from that point, if it's working, and I'll, I'll check my ads every 24 hours religiously, is the cost per purchase where it needs to be? If not, 
I'll kill it. If it is, I'll scale it. And I, I'll, in terms of scaling, I'll literally use auto bid. I'll go £5 one day, £10 the next, £20 the next, £40 the next, £60 the next, £100 the next. Generally speaking, my auto bids, if they're good, will work up to about £500 a day. Then at that point, I will start running a manual bid campaign, which is where the real scale comes from. So, for example, I've got a campaign right now which has auto bids within it up to about £500 a day spend. But then I've got a manual bid running at about £3,000 a day for one ad set and that's a worldwide ad set so i've got such a large large potential audience and that's using that's using lookalike audiences as well which is something else which a lot of beginners aren't as clear on but you can lookalikes are the key here really but you have to start testing and building an audience and the pixel data to use that but yeah so i'll start auto bid at five pound a day for literally everything that's just how i do it religiously and then i'll scale every day every 24 hours and yeah if it's working i increase it and i'll go to a manual bid and if it's not, I'll kill it or I'll decrease it. And that's pretty much my technique. Are there are there any products out there, Matt, that you think would be really good for e-com that you don't plan on testing? So maybe some suggestions for people that are that are um, getting deeper into e-com or growing more and more, and um, things that you think would really work but you don't plan on working with in the future. Yeah. So. My perspective on product has changed dramatically in the past year, like, well, in the past few years. For example, like, like I said before, I originally started dropshipping leggings. That was the first thing. And, and I thought, because I was selling leggings, my entire site had to be about leggings because mm-hmm. that was just the way I was doing it. But very much now, I'm running what I would call as a general store. So I sell a lot of stuff that's generally in the accessories, you know, accessories, technology, gadget sort of niche. But I would happily test literally anything. So the key thing I look for now, and this is why my perspective changed. So instead of just looking for products that look cool or you think is trending, I'll I'll look for a product that at least has an angle that I can solve a problem with. So I will always I'll actually always start an ad in my copy with a question, which highlights a pain point or it at least highlights, you know, a, a customer preference that maybe isn't out there so i'm for example i'll just think of one on the spot so a good one that well i i'm going to steal an example that was used at a conference last week so for, say you're selling a dog collar right you might just market it as a dog collar and it's got lights on it instead you should be looking at how that solves the problem and the problem is a lot of dogs get killed every year because they get run over in the dark this this dog collar solves that problem by highlighting your dog, for example. I've never tested this product, but this is just something that I just remembered from last week. And I think the key point is stuff that at least has an angle to solve a problem. And even if it's not something that clearly solves a problem, you should be thinking about how you can turn that, that, that product into a problem solver, either by highlighting a problem that users don't even know they have, or building a story around a product that creates a problem and solves it. So, yeah, for example, a dog collar that's got lights on it, it's, it could just be, a, you know, a trendy dog collar or it can be a life-saving dog death repellent dog collar, you know? <laughs> so, so something that solves the problem, particularly with drop shipping, because, for example, coming back to leggings, I mean, you can angle them as, I'm not saying leggings now, but you can angle that as problem solving, but it's going to be more difficult to do so than something like, a life a dog life-saving dog collar with lights because the whole thing with drop shipping is like i said before 
it's less so about building a brand and more so about finding products that people want either because they are trending or I think more importantly because you're solving a problem and they don't necessarily have to be products that and people talk a lot about winning products which I find is weird because as if like any product for example if a product's winning it's going to do great on any ads on any website I just don't agree with that I think a lot of products yeah are generally good but it's all about putting a story or solving a problem in your story around in your story and marketing around that product so that's the key thing I would say Find products that you can build an enticing story slash problem solving slash need around, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. If you were going to make a... That's a, the angle I can make from. Yeah. I want to ask you more about like the, the, the ad style that you're using. The, so if you're going to make a video ad for dog callers and, and do a campaign up on Facebook, you know would would and you talked about doing personal videos so like you um walking a dog with a dog collar uh what would what do you think would work or what would you test out in that sort of campaign to see if it it what would you think is a winning ad yeah so something like that using the dog example i think obviously it's got got to include a dog in it particularly things like dogs people just fall at their knees. People that like dogs will, will watch anything that's got a dog in it for days. True. So I would use the dog rather than the product is probably the key thing to at least get people's attention, but then obviously highlight the product. But it, for example, even if you don't have a video of the dog collar on a dog, right? You could, you could still just literally use videos of dogs or pictures of dogs and then also just include the product in there. As long as it's clear that the two combine to solve the problem like th th this is coming back to the point it's making earlier the videos you put out don't have to even make that much sense as long as you get the person to click through to the website knowing that they want the product so you might have I i've literally tested videos that aren't even actual videos they're just slideshows they're literally a bunch of pictures put together with captions over them because in this case for example if you have pictures and for example, if you can't get video, you don't have a video guy, you can't source video without copywriting, for example, then just use pictures that you've got and put captions over it and put some music that's just, you know, gets people involved. Use colors that are good, use emojis. It does not even have to be video, but I would always use the video ad format just because it's better for engagement, but you can use pictures as a video just by making a slideshow and doing captions. Like, it doesn't have to be overthought. I just think the key point is, engaging people engaging people quickly and having a clear highlight of the key points i always i always tell my video guy to put three key points for the product in the video on caption so for example with a dog color it might be i don't know you might have worldwide shipping because that's you know that's more of a commercial point you might have saves dogs lives you might have high quality durable battery whatever it is that's just thinking off the top of my head but yeah generally i will always just highlight three key points because I think three is a good number because it's enough, but it's not too much. Three key points and keep it short and sweet. Like a lot of my videos will literally be 10 to 15 seconds. Sometimes I'll do like a minute, but I'll never go over a minute because people just don't watch it. And if you're spending like the first 50 seconds with a load of fluff and then you only got a call to action in the last 10 seconds, then most people probably aren't even going to get to that. So people's attention span is dying. So yeah, get attention, be clear with what you're offering. With, with potentially three key points and yeah, don't overthink it. Just just test. It sounds kind of 
basic, but that is honestly <laughs> what works. Yeah, you got to try. You got to just do it. The next, Matt, the next three to five years for you, I know you're talking about wanting to shift and build your own personal brand. Uh, what other things do you want to do business-wise, business and travel-wise? Yeah, so I'm going to continue drop shipping for now, for probably at least the next year. But I want to shift more of my focus into building a brand because like I met a lady called Greta Van Reel. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's she just sold her watch business for eight figures and she's 28. Her watch brand. She runs load of brands. She's an absolute freak in the e-com space. I was speaking to her and I basically said I want to be the male version of her in like five years. Not literally because we're all different. But my goal, my big dream probably from when I was starting, I, I want to sell a business really. Because that would be sick because I'd get really rich, which would be nice. <laughs> but also because I want to just build something from scratch and sell it for a lot of money. And, you know, I just think that would be more, that's just more interesting longer term than dropshipping. Like dropshipping is still great. And I, I would advise anyone that's getting into e-commerce to do dropshipping first because it allows you to make all the mistakes necessary with a lot less money up front because obviously you don't need to buy stock, etc. But then for me, I, yeah, I want to get back into building a brand. I'm not really sure which angle. I'm, I've actually been playing with this men's jewelry brand on the side for like six months. It's just, I honestly just have been lazy with it. Like I've been working with influencers trying to get a deal through and I've got some stock. I've got a 3PL warehouse ready to go. I've got samples, but I just know that that would take probably probably at least a year or two to get to the numbers I'm doing with dropshipping, if not more. But the value with that over dropshipping is you're building a scalable and sellable asset. So the thing with building a brand is it's going to take longer. And there's a lot of talk about this at the conferences we've just been to. It's going to take longer to build because obviously you have to invest in stock. You're investing in brand equity. Like you might even break even if you're doing well for the first year. But you're building something which you can actually sell to whether that be a larger company that acquires you or you know one person that acquires you. You're building something to sell rather than just very much in terms of finances, with dropshipping, you are stacking profit, really. Whereas with brand, you can compound profit and compound an asset. Like the only asset, really, if I'm honest, with my dropshipping store is me, my email list, and my Facebook pixel, which are valuable, but yeah, it's, it's not something that's going to sell for sort of eight figures in the future. Yeah. I mean, there's guys selling dropshipping stores for six figures, but even then, I think you, you really have to have automated it fully and it'd be something that runs perfectly without you. And I, I'm probably not at that stage yet. And I, I don't really plan on selling my dropshipping store. Like, I, I, To be quite honest, I, I plan on milking it for as much profit as I can in the next six to 12 months. But in the six, next six to 12 months as well, also spending more time working on getting into the brand space. I, I'm also interested to, like you say, build more of my personal brand. But I think the personal branding space is interesting but there's a lot of how do i phrase it there's a lot of bad perception i think with the whole selling courses and stuff because and i think it's people that don't people that aren't educate aren't educated on the values like that think why is someone selling a course if they're making money i'm sure you understand what i mean right. like if, if i if i launched a course tomorrow and sold say it was a thousand pounds people might say oh like you're obviously not making any money dropshipping because you need to sell a course. Like, because there is a lot of bullshit out there. There's a lot of guys that claim to be a guru and they've sold $300 worth in a week <laughs> and they're now a guru. Like, the whole guru space is an interesting one because there's a lot of legit guys that are genuinely crushing it. They're like running eight-figure businesses and they've also got an info business, info products of some form. 
but there's also a lot of a lot of crap out there and yeah like i've got a youtube channel which is it, honestly like it's got like 300 subscribers it's tiny but that was just literally basically me documenting travels from the past year i think i put like two videos about e-commerce e-commerce on there I, I'd, I'd like to grow that but i think it's about finding finding an angle which is most interesting to me because personal branding aside from being able to sell a course or something i think gets you in the room with interesting people because people know who you are and i think personal brand is probably it's the new cv and yeah i think that's what's valuable there and i'd be keen to get get into more of that space it's a good really good way to put it I, I know yeah. you you um you've spent the last year or so being location independent and exploring the location independent world. What are you excited about in the next couple of years being an entrepreneur with quite a bit of success, being a young guy and exploring the location independence more? What's what are some things that yeah. you plan on doing or traveling to or some type of location yeah, independent so, lifestyles? Go ahead. I, yeah. This is probably a controversial one. I actually I think there's many pros and many cons for location dependence, which is I think most people are aware of, but I think a lot of people, when they get into the whole online world, think that being location dependent is absolutely amazing all the time, but it is amazing, but you have to work out, you have to understand the, the little things which make all the difference. For example, when I was first in Europe a year ago traveling, I didn't understand the importance of fast Wi-Fi until you don't have it. <laughs> so even stupid shit like that, like with this Airbnb, we had to make sure the Wi-Fi was good, the aircon was good before we came here because obviously if you don't have that, you can't do anything. And I think for me, location dependence-wise, it's more a case of I want to travel, but I would spend at least a, a month or two in one place. For example, I spent three months in Bali and that was probably the most productive three months of my life because I got a real productive routine going and I was surrounded by everyone doing similar stuff. It was a real healthy lifestyle. I, I didn't drink for like three months. I was doing ice, ice baths twice a day. Nice. I was eating well. I was fasting in the morning and stuff. It was just a good a good mix. Whereas we've been in Barcelona for a week now. And to be honest, obviously, like we were at the event and stuff, you spend the first week, and it's the same anywhere, but particularly in a big city like this, you spend the first week just being more of a tourist and going out and yeah, networking, but probably probably not doing quite enough work. And I think you have to be self-aware enough to understand about putting yourself in a place that you're going to be productive. For example, if I went to Ibiza trying to be location dependent, I'm not going to do any work, am I? It's just right. not going to happen because <laughs> I'm going to be surrounded by people who are doing who are just there to party. So, yeah, like my plan is to. I don't really know where's next. Honestly, I don't have. I haven't actually booked anything after Barcelona yet, which is cool. But it's also like, shit, I need to decide where to go next. There's talk of Colombia about getting a big a big mansion out there and just living real cheap. But I don't know. Obviously, you'd have to make sure like how safe a place like that was because there's obviously more risk in places like Colombia than there are in Barcelona. So, yeah, like it's about going to places that are safe, that are cool, that you can, you can leverage the lifestyle a lot. And by that, I mean a mansion in Colombia is going to be pretty cheap. But because we can make money while being there and we're not just on holiday we could live like kings for and and have a good time but also not be spending a ridiculous amount of money and you know so i can invest money back in my business etc etc so yeah I, um, another thing as well is i, I want to buy a house back in the uk but i want to i want to start i want to let it out so i'm currently in the process of trying to figure out where best to do that and where best to secure finance for that to obviously leverage as much cash as possible 
because me and Tim have spoken a lot about this. I, I want to get into the property game big time and I want to use e-commerce as the financial fuel to do so because I, I don't just want to be online. I think the online world's cool, but I think it would also be cool to every three months or so, for example, if I am traveling, to go back to the UK and you know build up this, this rental business as well and just get into that space because... I think it's always good to have some some money in bricks and mortar, and I've definitely not been the most sensible financially the past year, like <laughs> buying stupid watches and getting them stolen, so <laughs> buying a, a fast a fast depreciating car. But yeah, life's for living as well. But now I'm starting to think more about where to put money so longer term that e- even if this econ thing was to die, which is never going to die, but even if I was to spend time on this, that I can make good money passively we know semi-passively because nothing's really passive unless you literally unless you disinvest in companies but you know that's the next step yeah but yeah like get getting into property i think would be cool because then yeah then i've got property that i can potentially live in if i want a base somewhere but also that i can rent out and build a bricks and mortar business but in terms of the next location there's there's talk of colombia there's talk of bali again there's talk of italy um lisbon in portugal but yeah, any, anywhere that's that's got a good surrounding, that's around good people, that has good Wi-Fi, that has, you know, just everything you need. And it's about working out what you need and finding places that facilitate that best while also having a cool lifestyle. Like I, I don't want to spend 18 hours a day sat on my laptop. I, I probably want to work as efficiently as possible, do most of my work in the, in the morning to early afternoon and then spend sort of the later afternoon, evening like just actually enjoying the place you're in because there's no point being in Barcelona for example if I'm going to spend every second sat at my desk <laughs> I want to go and see the beach and shit and go and do some tourist vibes you know and get the Instagram topped up yeah so, it's, a, it's a really good yeah. point I, I find that for, for me I need a minimum two two months in one place to be productive and see the city yeah. or, or the country yeah. and, and preferably like three to four months definitely like we spent the last um, yeah. four months in Italy which has been amazing um, but Lisbon's a great city. I've lived there, uh, going there in September, and in Thailand, of course, Chiang Mai is a is a great place as well. Yeah, I, I introduced Tim to my real estate buddy in Barcelona. Did you guys get a chance to meet up with him? He hasn't mentioned that. Actually. I, I don't know if he's, if he's done that secretly and wants to get a step ahead. But <laughs> no, he hasn't mentioned it. I'll have to ask him. He's actually flown off to to Valencia this morning to, to go and meet some girl, I think, which I told him was a bad productivity move. Cause, <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole of talk, talking about girls, but that's a whole other issue to do with trying to be an entrepreneur traveling. But yeah. Um, yeah. I probably shouldn't have said that. He's going to hate me. But, <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll intro. He's, maybe I'll, he's doing stuff here. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'll, I'll intro you to Noah. He's done, um, he's got like a $30 million real estate business and he does real estate out of um, Barcelona, Amsterdam, uh, the Middle East and North Africa, and um, actually down in Thailand too. And so, it's, since you're looking Absolutely. at the real estate thing, he's a really good guy. He's my he's a really good friend of mine, but also a really good guy to know. And since you're in Barcelona, you know, I'm sure you guys can meet up and yeah, have a drink and have Sweet. a good yeah. chat. Cool. One more question, and we'll get you out of here. Um, the difference in the six figure and seven figure mentality for you. Um. I would definitely say the first thing is meeting people that are doing minimum seven figures, if not eight, because you always, it's the whole 10 X mentality. Um, yeah, the biggest thing for me was meeting people doing at least seven figures, always hang around with people that are doing better than you 
And if you're not hanging around those people, you're in the wrong place. So that'd be the first thing. And and in terms of like practical advice in terms of that would be to just go to a conference, even if you think it's expensive or whatever, you have to invest in yourself. And that's the mindset that you need to even get started with six figures, but particularly to then grow to seven figures. The second thing would be to outsource the crappy stuff, like, well, I'm gonna say crappy stuff, but the menial stuff like customer service and obviously a lot with Facebook ads, like social media moderation, replying to comments, etc. Outsource stuff that is that, that needs to be done but isn't bringing in the revenue. So it's the 80-20 rule. I spend all my time now focusing on ads, basically, trying to scale ads and finding products that we can scale. Because at the end of the day, if you haven't got products that are selling, you haven't got a business, particularly the dropshipping e-commerce model. Like You can get real fancy about everything else, making your social media look good, but for me, it's the 80-20 rule. So yeah, um, actually, that's probably a third point, the 80-20 rule in terms of your own productivity. Um, just focus on what is going to increase the numbers and outsource the rest, really. And I, I don't know if there's a final point. The final point would probably be um, to train your mind to think bigger in every area. Like I have a, a, I don't know if it's a technique, but I do a lot of visualization and stuff, which which to people which don't get it, inverted commas, which don't really get the whole entrepreneurship thing, they think that's a load of, of wish-wash bullshit. But... I spend a lot of my time visualizing eight and nine figures, whether that be in my bank account or, or an eight and nine figure lifestyle. And even if, and it's all 10x mindset again, even if I'm not really bothered about making 500 million pounds, but if, if I shoot to try and make 500 million pounds in my mind, I'm probably at the very least going to make 10 to 50 because I'm developing the habits and the, the mindset and the, the networking ability that puts me in the room with people that are doing those sort of numbers. And I think as well, it's about understanding what your goals are. Like a lot of people, I'm probably going off on a tangent here, but a lot of people, they're not that fussed about making seven, eight figures. They just want to facilitate a, a nice lifestyle through, you know, a five, six figure business. And that's cool. But if you do want to go to the bigger leagues, you've got to start hanging around with the guys doing it. You've got to outsource the menial stuff, leverage the 20 rule and just start thinking bigger. And it, it takes time to adjust your mind to that, that sort of thinking. But getting around the right people is definitely the first step and the key to unlocking that mindset, I would say. Beautiful, man. Matt, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and all your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for joining us. Sweet. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed if, it. Cool. If, the, if, the, if the listeners want to reach out to you, Matt, uh, where's the best place they could do that at? Uh, Instagram's probably best. Um, I'm trying to grow that a bit there. So my username is underscore Matthew Kelly underscore. So, yeah, right just DM me on there or something. Cool, man. That'd be great. We'll wrap up there. And listeners, thank you for joining us once again. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining the show. We wanted to remind you about our Get Shit Done one-on-one -on -one productivity coaching that we recently just launched. What we do is work with you to create big business goals that are absolutely game changers. We make a plan together and put you in our productivity hacking system that helps you stay on target. Each week, you get a call with yours truly about what steps to take for the following week. Some say it's like a year of productivity in just three months. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching. Thebusinessmethod.com forward slash coaching.